You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. We're thrilled you're with us. Todd is on holiday somewhere on the planet. He's disappeared with his wife, Catherine, and he's probably listening to this from afar, laughing as we talk. But Chance is joining me. Thank you, man. Here I am. Welcome. I'm, I'm glad you're back on Like it us. or not. <laughs> no, I, I'm really <laughs> thrilled to have you back on with me. We will go through a few things, but we've got great car conclusions. You guys have written in and done an amazing job giving us updates, whether or not we covered your debate. And we've got about five of them I think we can get through. But in the meantime... Blip Shift shirts are currently available. Mm -hmm. Starting off with the 911 shirt called Stuttgart with emphasis on the art and Brave the Elements number three, which is a Miata Generation shirt and it's designed to look like a periodic table of elements. Yeah. NA and B, you know. Both of them are pretty good. I like them both. They're pretty good. But there's two brand new shirts celebrating the GR Supra Manual and GR Corolla, I'm being told, are released on Wednesday, September 14th, 2022, which coincidentally is the same day that our GR Corolla video is coming out on the main YouTube channel, along with, I think, every other journalist video on the, yeah, on probably. the planet. But Toyota came to our home track, Utah Motorsports Campus, and we got a couple of laps in two different versions. We wanted the Circuit Edition. Well, we drove all three of them, but... We, we had yeah, those yeah. cars. So that video is coming. And then, yeah, a couple of shirts. Corolla shirt, I think it's going to be pretty cool. I haven't seen that yet. It sounds sweet. It, it's good. It's good. On the next episode after this one, this is 735, 736, Todd and I are going to answer all the GR Corolla questions and discuss more in-depth about the car since we couldn't. Many of you had questions about the car when we were posting photos of it during the event, but we couldn't. So lots of you had more questions. So we're going to go dive deep into for probably first half of the podcast. It's very hard to not talk about. It it is. Yeah, it's the hot thing right now. It is. You haven't heard. And speaking of which, Gazoo Racing is testing that engine, the GR Yaris slash Corolla engine in the GR86. It's my understanding it's more for the development of synthetic fuels, though, at this point. Yeah, I heard racing. It's not to come out to like, hey, finally we got a GR86 turbo. Would be cool. (laughs) Would be interesting. Well, they built a crazy Corolla, so I wouldn't put it past them. That that could be the G. Well, we already have a GR86. This engine fits. What do you call this one? Just turbo. Just add turbo to it. The end. Your car's dashboard is on the front line in the battle against the sun, and it can really deteriorate over time due to UV damage. A custom Covercraft dash mat protects your dash and keeps it looking new, as well as complementing your interior. These dash mats are available in a wide variety of fabric styles and colors you can even customize with embroidery or logo. You could put an Everyday Driver logo on it if you wanted. You can make it completely unique to you and your car. Can we get an 86 with the Everyday Driver logo in the corner, maybe intertwine them? you got to work on that, Paul. When you're shopping at Covercraft.com, just remember, use the code EVERYDAY22 to get a 10% discount and it ships for free. Follow the link from our sponsors page at EverydayDriver.com or navigate directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality covers, sunscreens, and dash mats to keep your car protected and looking its best. So we'll start off with Joel B., who writes to the Best Automotive Podcast. I must warn you that we are susceptible to flattery. <laughs> Open to bribes. No, wait, we don't do bribes. Yeah, right. Really appreciate it, Joel. Thank you for writing. Thank you for listening. He says, we've made your year, Joel. He wrote in some for some car buying advice back in episode 693. 
ended up buying a red mini that needed a clutch replacement. Ah, yes. A few other small things, but yeah, the clutch replacement's a big one on a mini. That's pretty common. Yeah. I understand. In any car. Yeah. And he had enough money to get the work done, so he used that as a negotiation, kindling, he says, to get the price down quite a bit. It's a 2008 Mini Cooper with the base non-turbo engine. For now, he will take the very good fuel economy and excellent handling over speed. He does say 118 horsepower in a 2,500-pound car is not much. He also says it's scary good fuel economy, which I thought was pretty funny. He's appreciating that now. Well, he fears he's going to have to switch to an automatic in the future since dailing a manual just doesn't work for his bad knee. We're sorry to hear, but he's loved the car. And he fell in love with a mini brand when he was young, and he's so happy to own one now, one of the best car communities he's ever experienced. It's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, given the billboards that we've seen, you know, it's it's like the cool kids car club, you know. Yeah. Know. And it's funny. He posts, he sends us a picture of the mini, and I'm assuming his, his office, yeah, he says his office parking lot. There in the corner, it's bright red and Everything else next to it, there's, let's see, there's six. Yeah, six more vehicles next to it. Most of them are crossovers. Gray, and they're all gray, 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 gray. One's silver, but they're all gray. Yeah, still. No, it, it's great. Thanks for sending the photos. And he says, thanks for having such amazing content. Yeah, well, we really appreciate it. We're working hard to bring that to you, and we're glad that we got you thinking differently. I'm glad you're enjoying the car right now. And despite your bad knee, you're getting to drive it. Who knows what's held in the future, but good news. Automatics are really good, especially the ones that are tuned to feel like dual clutches. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with commuting in an automatic. There's nothing, nothing wrong. wrong. I've if, got my yeah. Mazda three. That's a stick and I don't feel like I gain anything for it. Really? Yeah. yeah you're, it's it's fun ish. It suits the, yeah, but it's not your 911. It's not yeah. designed to be. It's right. a commuter car. So save fuel. I could have done without this is my point, I guess. <laughs> Right, right. Well, Joel, thank you so much for writing. Really appreciate it. Got a short one from Sean Brown in Australia. Sean, thank you for writing. Way back from episode 128. Way back when, yeah. Wow. He says, since his humble appearance in episode 128, which was entitled The Craft of Driving, Focus RS versus Miata, he is pleased to let us know that largely due to us, he has progressed from the O2 NB generation MX-5 Miata to a 2019 M240i. He does send photos. They're great. As of this email, he says he's had the BMW just three days and loving it. More importantly, he doesn't know if we've heard, but Beaver Teeth has been published in Australia. Did you see this? I did, yeah. He sent a copy of the article, and he said this was published in a Wheels Australia Which Car magazine article written by Ash Westerman, but Ash wrote it as teeth, which makes me think he might have come across that on his own because we deliberately misspell it here. And yeah. You have to add the lisp. F, teeth, beaver T- teeth. Teeth, but still, I'm glad that people yeah, yeah. are referencing it because it is. M240i, man, that's a pretty great car. It's a great car, and it doesn't have the beaver teeth. I hate to say it. But yeah, we've, we've tracked really them on, at Spa and the Nürburgring, and they're, they're fun. Glad you're bombing around Australia in that thing. It sounds like a lot of fun. Really appreciate you writing. Christopher Tyler writes in. He was not debated, but he lives in the Chicago area. Said, based on our suggestions, he tried using Turo to get more seat time and do his drive homework. Didn't really get anything off Turo, but he drove a lot of vehicles, and they replaced their twenty their 2006 Ford Focus that had 190,000 miles on it. Got your use out of that one for sure. It did. They <laughs> wrung that dirty washcloth out. <laughs> a few times. <laughs> With a 2022 Corolla SE sedan a couple months ago, wife wanted a hatchback, but getting a color one out, which I think is kind of funny because the picture you sent, it looks like it's 
mostly silver. It's got some blue in it. There's, there's some, there's blue, some in blue tones to it. So it is a nice silver. Gray. It's very sophisticated. Yes. Neutral blue gray. It's good. They both listen to the podcast and watch on YouTube and Vimeo, and really, you and your work helps them determine what card they needed. And they've also got a Covercraft sunshade, and they really love their Griot's products. <laughs> he says he don't think he'll go back to the lesser brands. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. And he says he's getting the foam can and the towels and the cleaning and detail products from Griot's, and it makes him enjoy actually keeping the cars clean. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Christopher. And no problem. He, did you see this little addendum now? Because his, he didn't think his wife would be enjoying his car, cars yeah, as yeah, much yeah. as she does now. And she's watching F1 with him. Which is very cool. You <laughs> Hello. Have, have a winner right there. <laughs> Christopher, thanks for writing. Raphael writes to us, The podcast has kept him sane during traffic on his boring hour-long commute to university in the past years. He wanted to write in with a car conclusion that was greatly inspired. And he never wrote a debate for the show, but he says by listening to the discussions and the suggestions on the podcast, he says it's a great help for making a decision. Glad to hear that. Raphael was able to get his dream job as a programmer last year and wanted to reward himself with a fun car. He's always been a fan of Japanese cars for as long as he can remember, and the Civic Type R was the attainable dream car since he first saw one on the road before college started. He says he's all he's ever driven is Civics, he shared with his family, mm-hmm. and he did mention that he did a lot of driving homework to see if he was missing out on anything. He did. He drove a BRZ, the NA and NB Miatas, GTIs, Veloster N, Civic Type R, a whole bunch of stuff. He said his choices eventually came down to the GR86 and the Elantra Veloster N and the Civic Type R. At this point, the Civic Type R was the most fun for me, for him, even though he tried his hardest to set his bias aside. But hey, man, even though you like your Hondas, you still went out and tried everything else, which is what a lot of other people don't do. Yeah, sometimes we have biases. But he does say that he's noted other emails when people write to us and say, yeah, I've always wanted a 911. I guess I'll settle for a GTI. Or even worse, I've always wanted a GTI, but I guess I'll buy a 911 to tide me over. <laughs> <laughs> We've noted that a lot. And we, we try to read between the lines and, and say, okay, the, the car you're really wanting is Mustang, Corvette, Camaro. You know, we see. Yeah. Why don't you go buy one? You've got the budget for it. Go get it. it. Uh, yes. If you have the budget for it, and I'm glad you did, Raphael. And it seems like that <laughs> through your story that even though you had biases, the car has lived up to what you thought it would be. Mm-hmm. He says he picked up his Boost Blue CTR in September 2021. So that's about a year now. That's a great color, too. It's that one of my favorites on that color. car. That's always looked good. I think I prefer it in that Boost Blue. Yeah. We've never had one. We've had white and gray and something else. We had a red one somewhere. We had there. a red one, didn't we? Yeah. But he loves the turbo noises, and he says the storage space is great. The gas mileage is in the high 20s. The power is all he would want to use, and he loves being able to take responsible turns at faster speeds. He's taking it to his first autocross the weekend that he writes to us, and hopefully we'll go on track days and HPDEs once he upgrades to parts for cooling. And even his MOF elect, his fiance, loves the Type R and now believes there's no reason to buy a crossover when practical hatchbacks like the CTR exist. Yes, Agreed. We've been saying drumming that beat for a while now. <laughs> we love it. Really, really appreciate it. Cheers. I, I'm so glad you watched the uh, the 15 years piece on YouTube. If you haven't seen that piece, all of our peers 
jumped in to roast us and had some funny stuff. Yep. So that's on our main channel on YouTube and uh, you can see everybody on there. It was, it was pretty funny getting these submissions. Yeah. And of course the, the beginning and tail end, it, it was all edited down, but you know, the tail end of as people would sign off is pretty funny. So Kyle S writes to us back from episode 671. Said by the time the podcast released, I'd lost the itch for a fast vehicle. Nothing gave me confidence to drive across the States and effectively carry out my life. Drove almost every flavor of Mustang, EcoBoost, GT, Mach 1, and a Roush supercharged car and left me unsurprised. The EcoBoost and the GT felt exactly the same, minus the sound and interior equipment. Really? That, exactly yeah, not, the same? A four-cylinder versus an eight-cylinder? As far as the interior stuff goes, well, the interior, that's all the sure, same. Yeah. Sure, but... Yeah, it's power and everything else. That one, I, You'd think there'd be a touch there'd be of some power. Difference. Okay, yeah. anyway, continue. Anyway, the Mach 1 was awesome, but I was never confident. It was too valuable and too much car, so I never had fun or felt comfortable in it. Interesting. He says he will ask everyone, who in their right mind hands keys to a Roush Mustang to a 24-year-old and says, have fun on a test drive? He thinks it's way too much power. Other flavors of too much include weight... And he says he hated the Challengers and Chargers, especially as the steering wheel was so thick you felt like a Lego man holding <laughs> onto the wheel. That's good. That's a funny visual. Loved how the Super drove, but both the four and six cylinders couldn't feel the difference in power with his uncalibrated senses. senses. So he's admitting that he's, he's not as in tune with, with power and things like that. It's okay. There's another thing with that. But he also says that the cabin space was ultimately the executioner, and he's right. That car is a bunker. People say the Camaros are bunkers. The Supra is a bunker. <laughs> Fair enough. The 370Z felt similar to the Mustang, and the Turbo 4 Camaro was surprisingly in the lead, even with the tight cabin, going back to that bunker. But until 2022, gas prices kept creeping in, so that became a real factor. Well, Kyle decided to look at regular vehicles in different directions. He tried the Civic Type R, and he actually liked it. But he writes this very specific sentence, not for $75,000. Are you serious, Kyle? Seventy-five grand? Somebody marked that car up to $75,000? I'm wondering if that was that special edition, that yellow one I've seen. That, that, I forget so, what special that wasn't available ones, in the that's... States, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, it was? Mm -hmm. I th well, one of, them, one of the versions was UK only or something like that. Could be. I thought. We sampled the newer Civic Si and absolutely hated it. No kidding. I think it's fantastic. He felt like it made more noise than speed and didn't inspire confidence. You're right. It's only got 200 horsepower. But once you're going, it's one of those momentum kind of cars. And mm -hmm. it's got great backseat space. Yeah. I feel like for the money. But okay. You didn't like it. That's fine. He got into a 10,000 mile 2021 WRX and loved it. He loved the confidence especially since he drove it while it was 20 degrees and freezing rain outside. He says it's noisy and compromised fuel on the highway, and that's all definite negatives for a 50-minute commute. And halfway through this trial, he was driving the car, the oil pressure dropped, temps rose steadily, and the motor seized. Ooh. Halfway down, a rest stop exit ramp. Subaru doing Subaru things? The salesman who was sitting in the back seat reassured them this is not normal. Really? If you say so. <laughs> They couldn't have caused this failure, of course. Yeah. So he called yeah, the dealership yeah. to bring a car and truck so they could get back. The techs arrived with an older STI and first-gen BRZ with all seasons. And he took the BRZ with the salesman to the next exit. And once they did, there were icy roads of the interstate, not ideal for the tires. He was hoping for all this adventure and excitement to be over. And then the sales tech redlined the car and dumped the clutch in that demonstration of, hey, watch this. Kyle's not sure what he was expecting, but 
There was a violent lurch and a loud bang as the transmission scattered pieces a block short of the dealer lot. Did he keep his job? <laughs> Seriously? Two cars and one test drive? That's Kyle, quite, that's I'm sorry. A, that's, that's an adventure. Quite the experience. Living with good and bad experiences, he scoured the internet for more all-wheel drive vehicles, hot hatches in particular with decent gas mileage. The Veloster was decent. However, it did lose the hero advantage of the all-wheel drive. Additionally, these were marked up and extremely thin in new stock, which I've, I've heard that a lot about those, which is kind of a bummer. He also liked it as a solid option. Another vehicle you couldn't find that near MSRP was the new Golf, which is also unsurprising. Those are also hard to find right now, too, I believe. Seems like every enthusiast car we talk about. So then he moved on to test driving a Ford Focus RS and loved it. But four-year-old hot hatch for $40,000 kind of turned him off for that. He really wanted reliability and to know what the vehicle has been through. Searched other all-wheel drive sedans from Audi and Lexus, didn't care too much for them, and eventually went to Toyota to put his name on the list for the GR Corolla. Like the rest of the world. Yes. Right? Coincidentally, he drove a regular XSE hatchback with silver and white, which he said was gross. White interior. White interior, yeah. I haven't seen a white interior on that, but I have that, never seen that a white interior. seems like a bad combination That's that there. Mazda phase, and BMW went through that phase, mm-hmm. and I hope they're over it. But he loved how it drove, even with the automatic. And a few weeks later, he found himself with a manual blue flame hatchback. Well, no kidding. He bought it and he loves it. And Kyle still appreciates pony cars, he said, but he's found a new obsession with rally hatchbacks. He plans to keep his spot for the GR Corolla unless it underwhelms him, which he can then sell and still be under his initial max budget. Just wait for the video on Wednesday. The video is coming out and you can make your determination. Yeah. He says some of it was being at the right place at the right time, but it seems like the correct vehicle for what he finally decided he needed. Of course, there's our wants and you've been through all that, but I love that you listen to your needs at this point Mm -hmm. and it kind of turned into your wants. He says comfortable. It reliably conquers the hundred mile commute round trip without bankrupting him travels to any adventure without worry or excessive hassle and his new fiance had to be comfortable driving or set to passenger princess as she affectionately closes vents and falls asleep. <laughs> passenger princess. That's, that's funny. a new one. That's pretty good. So he loves how it looks, makes him smile, which is one of the major requirements that I had for anything I would have bought, which is, you know, it's huge. If it doesn't make you turn around and look at it when you walk away, that's, did you buy the right car? <laughs> Shining bright and made even better with a spoiler. Like Beyonce says, you got to put a wing on it. That's right. And bombing down Rocky Mountain National Park, getting 60 MPG at 60 miles an hour is really awesome. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Four cylinders, no electric motors. He keeps coming back to this confidence. Have you noticed this in his email? Mm -hmm. Reliability, affordability for the future, comfortable for trips. Yes, it's different and unassuming. Nobody gets mad or upset at this little thing sliding across a gravel road while you're pretending to be a rally driver. Modern amenities are easy, and it eats miles away, comfortably sipping on gasoline. He says he loves his little hatchback, and he's surprised at how many people like it and give him compliments. He's sure that blue flame color helps a lot, and I'm sure you're right. He does go on to cover the dumb headlights. Hmm. He says everyone flashes you because of the triangle cutout that Toyota put in not to dazzle people. The armrest creaks if you push on it. And it isn't loud or actually fast, but it's faster than previous vehicles he's extensively driven. He says, bullying wrangle, wranglers makes them giggle. You're a wrangler bully. 
Oh, right. Wrangling the Wrangler? I guess so. He wants to keep it nice and reliable, so he cleans it all the time, and he's upset with scratches and rocks. And he's been used to pickups or SUVs, but it has enough room for multiple water skis, two passengers, weekend bags, a cooler, and an 80-pound dog. That's great. I think what I like what you've discovered in the next part here, Kyle. Until up until your fiance said maybe you should have taken her car, it has reignited you with the fact that you have to drive your car to enjoy it and it's no longer flawless because even if after you've done seat covers, ceramic coating, regular cleaning and rust proofing, he caught a chunk of asphalt to the hood which is being repaired on their first road trip, but he says at this point, he's even more fearless in driving the car every opportunity he can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. I, I mean, I'm poster child for dings and scratches and, you know, ah, yeah. something happened. But it's like our road trip. We just completed our cars the past road trip number three, which I can't believe we've done three now. But I was waffling back and forth between windshield dings and I know scratches on the paint, and I just did the full Grios yeah. orbital with everything. It, looked, it that, looked fantastic when we left. It looked great. I mean, it'll still look great. I just need to wash it. But yeah, yeah. still, I was thinking, all right, Porsche used to rally these things. Perry did the car, and they just replaced parts along the way, and I'm sure it was creaky and rattly, but they still beat the snot out of these things. Mm-hmm. Not that I have to abuse it, but I was still glad that we were out there driving our cars, you know, Yes, a lot of money has gone into it. You guys know that. But still, we're out there putting miles on them, and I, I have to constantly weigh this balance. So, Kyle, I understand definitely what you're going through, but I love that you're fearless. Yeah, he also adds that he's not going to be tracking the car, but like you just said, he would rather road trip all over the place. And homework is necessary is what he adds. Just This is more for everybody else listening. And patience is key. Slow car fast. The cars may be temporary, but a stepping stone to something more fun in the future. I love it. Really appreciate all you guys writing to us. And like I said, more people have written to us. We can't cover them in this podcast, but there will be subsequent conclusions. And we're looking forward to covering them. So you know where to write, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com for your topic Tuesdays, your car debates, and your car conclusions. Looking forward to hearing from you. Summertime's here, and that means it is car wash season. And my friend Paul tells me I'm always supposed to wash a car in a cool, shady spot. I don't always do that well, but I do use the Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer, or actually I use the Boss Foam Cannon from Griot's Garage. You have to use this. It's awesome. If you're a person like me who's not good at this, it makes it far easier. You create a high foam blizzard right in your driveway with little to no work, which I really like. You avoid wash-induced scratches. It is the safest way to wash your car. Try the Griot's Garage Foaming System complete kit today and see what the foam is all about. Griot's also has a full ceramic family of products, including Speed Shine, Wash and Coat, and 3-in-1 Wax. All Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Craig R. writes to us with a car debate. He says he currently has a 2017 GTI that he daily drives or would if he didn't work from home. He also has a 2006 Porsche Boxster S that he uses for the, for fun and the occasional Porsche Club track events. How cool is that? Very cool. The next part is not as cool. His wife is not a fan of the Porsche, though, and has just been in the car once in his four years of ownership. That's kind of rough. I chose this email because I knew two Porsche nerds that would be talking to you, Craig. <laughs> And I figured that we should take this on. 
And it's okay that people are not fans of Porsches. I'm fully okay with that. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the best car ever. I like a lot of cars. Both of us like a lot of cars. Porsche is just one of the preferred flavors. But it's okay that she doesn't like your Porsche. And Craig wants a, her to love a fun car. She would be willing to ride it. She hasn't even ridden in his car in four years. One time yeah, in four years. Makes me wonder what she doesn't like about it. I'm curious, doesn't, too. Doesn't say. She does, he does say that she does like fun cars, though, and recently bought a 2022 Civic Si. Which is a fun car. I like that you like it. I, I didn't realize that car would be polarizing. Well, Craig is considering getting rid of the VW and the Porsche, who wants to buy a 2017 GTI and an 06 Boxster S. Right to us. We'll pass you along to Craig. He says he wants to get a single non-Porsche car, which is practical and can be fun on a track. All of their cars over the past 25 years have been manuals, and he'd like to keep on with that tradition. Mm-hmm. Says he's been thinking of the BMW M2 or M240i or the Audi R, RS, the, the RS5. Can you get those on a manual? I don't know if you can. I don't Maybe think the you earlier can. ones. Audi's kind of left manuals in the dust, too. Yeah, that's what I thought. So he does like a convertible, though, but that's not necessary. The budget is around $50,000. He's had a ton of Volkswagens over the years, a Honda Prelude, an NA Miata, and a Nissan 240SX. A drift car. Well, he also says he's loved the Boxster. It's his favorite car so far. Gosh, that's tough because your wife hasn't ridden in it, and it's your favorite car so far, and yet you know it needs to go. And he adds that basically what he needs to do is merge the GTI and the Boxster together to make his one perfect car. And you know what you think you need? Do you remember the Renault Clio V6 Renault Sport? That V6 <laughs> Renault mid-engine hot hatchback thing? So, Craig, you're going to have to look into importation costs and the gray market rules for the, a non-25-year-or-older car to get... I think it's still within 25 years, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other problem is the last one I saw for sale... I looked this up, too. The last one I saw for sale recently, actually, in the States was $75,000. What? Yeah. So those in Civic Type R's. So those are those are out of the budget. Right. If he could merge these two, what would it be into one perfect car? Well, obviously, I want your wife to love what you get. I don't want it to be another polarizing car. We're happy to leave Porsche behind and get something different for you. But you can't get a Civic Type R. That's too much of a flex. <laughs> Especially she with having the Civic Assai. Right. He, <laughs> hey, look at my Civic Assai. And then Craig rolls in hot with the new Type R. <laughs> You can't do that. I wanted to, especially with your $50,000 budget. You know you can it's do right it. right there. Probably even with markup, even though we don't like dealer markup. Yeah. We're against it, and you shouldn't. However, I think it's, yeah, the, the flexing, and she'll just you know stand there with her arms folded. Like, okay, so this is how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. why, why can't I have the big gun? Like, right. You get the big gun. Why can't I have it? So that being said, GR86, I'm going to give you a low, medium, and high. All right, for your medium is the $50,000 price point where you're at. And starting with low, the GR86 seems like a reasonable option for you. Yeah. It's a great car. Yeah. You said tracking. They're designed to be on track. We don't know what exactly kind of tracking, but whether you set it up for autocross or big track, whatever, it, it will do it. Okay. Your medium categorization. I do like your M2, but I would step up to an M2 competition if you can. Yeah, definitely get the comp if you can. Yeah, that, that, there is a big difference. It's big enough that it's worth your dollars to upgrade. Let's put it that way. If you want to save the money, go 240i. But if we're talking BMWs, how about a GR Super Manual? I looked up the BMW Car Club of America. It is unclear to me whether they allow Supras 
into the club. <laughs> I, I cannot find anywhere on the website where it addresses Supra ownership. I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting thought. I never thought of that. I mean, the super owners, I mean, will they just be sort of like the stepchilds over here in the corner? Yeah. Like, I guess you can join. Fine. We'll <laughs> take you. But I thought, what if you got the GR Super Manual? You want track capability? If you haven't seen our video yet, it is released. The embargo yeah. has lifted. We had it on track and street drive. It's that same wheelbase as the Cayman Boxster? Exactly. It ties right into the Cayman Boxster. And the manual is very good. There is information. They're very, it's a very different car than your wife. Let's put it that way. And she might let you drive hers, and she's probably going to want to drive the GR Supra. I feel like the Supra is the sweet spot. It's not Honda. It's definitely not Porsche, but it's still German. still gives you that German kind of feeling. But the engine has been through Toyota's quality control program. And up to now, we haven't heard for everybody that talks about it on the internet. When the Supra Automatic came out, the mm-hmm. first GR Supra and mm-hmm. said, oh, that engine's going to fail instantly or some sort of combination of that, right? Yeah. The engine's just not going to hold up. It's not a Toyota. It's a it's BMW. It's not a 2JZ, man. Well, it's, to my knowledge, been fine. Yeah. And they hold up to tuning pretty well from what I understand. That's my understanding as well. So Super Manual is my medium 50K, but of course that is flexible. <laughs> Yeah, good luck finding one for 50K. <laughs> I, I'm, I know, I'm saying, you know, 50K is the starting platform, and then we go up a touch from there just <laughs> to actually get it. But I think it could work, based on what you're saying. And then at the high end, what about a C8 Corvette? It's not a manual. I No, understand. it's also almost double the budget. I was talking about flexing. That is a really... That is really a flex car. Big yeah. flex. That's like a scenario. double... <laughs> But you did say fun on track, non-Porsche, and because it's so compromised, it is useful. True. Golf clubs all day long. Yeah. His and hers sets. Yeah. Weekend you can take the bikes. top off. You can take the top. Convertible. It's got space. It's large. The doors open normally. It's a supercar without having all the supercar foibles and living with it issues. Mm-hmm. And I got to overlook that because the... You know, it's so cool. I have to live with this weird, funky feature that I'm actually really annoyed by. It's so compromised that it's good. Permission and discussions will have to ensue with your MOF. Yes. She will have to approve. There will have to be sign-up sheets. Contracts. <laughs> Contracts signed. <I laughs> Vacations. Understand. Right. I do understand that. But I just thought, here's the range of where I'm thinking. All these, are, all these cars are great on track. GR86 to a C8. Great. And oh, a yeah. super manual? Yes. You're just going to have to navigate the actual finances and the actual do the dance, you know, see what's yeah. possible. That That's where I'm at. I actually went kind of the opposite direction there. Oh, you did? I kind of took okay. the uh, hot hatch idea and thought, well, what about the Mini Cooper JCW? We loved that thing. I, yes. They're expensive. That's excellent. But you it, can they're track under it. 50 grand, though. Yes, they are within the budget. You can track it. You can get it with a manual. And you can throw your stuff in there. You can daily commute in it. Why not? And, well, there's no clear place on the BMW, again, the Car Club of America, where <laughs> Mini Coopers can join, too. So that would be the other BMW that needs to yeah, be yeah, addressed. Yeah. If anybody's listening from BMW Car Club of America, we're curious. But if you're looking at hot hatches, you got to at least, we can't talk about it too much, but GR Corolla should be on that list. It's in that same price range, maybe a little cheaper, depending on the flavor you go. It is. It's a bit flexy, though. It's kind of, Sure. 
I mean, just based on stats alone. That's all yeah, we can yeah, say. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Based on the, the horsepower. But the, the one I think that you actually should get is the Honda S2000. Oh, really? You're s- keeping it all Honda. Yeah, so you can keep your GTI, get rid of the Boxster, and just go with an S2000. So if you hang on to the GTI and use that oh, as your daily, oh. keep the S2000 as the fun weekend car. That's and the Porsche Hopefully replacement. that your wife loves it. You have yeah. to get in it and see. Yeah, she'd probably like it because it is a Honda. It's it vintage be, Honda at this point, but mm-hmm. still... It's not a bad idea. And with your budget, yeah, sell the Porsche and you could get, what, a $20,000, $25,000 Honda S2000? That's a lot for an S2K. On the other hand, you'd have a really nice S2K. Yeah. What do you want to buy? What do you want to spend your money on? Okay, well, Craig, you've got some decisions to make. I still don't understand the Porsche non-love, but that's okay. <laughs> Perfectly fine with that. But hopefully you can find something that will be a great compromise and again, something that your wife will want to ride, ultimately something that your wife will want to steal the keys from you, right? Yeah. Well, that's the point. And that's then, the point, yeah. Then you'll be left with a Civic Si that's still really fun. Oh, darn. <laughs> right? We have been waiting all afternoon to discuss a question from Bill Coley, 1008, who asks our thoughts on the Pagani Utopia. Chance and I have been discussing it. We've been bantering the specs about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. looking at it, studying at it. I Dive in with your thoughts. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, it's, for one, it's a new Pagani. I mean, how often does that come around? Which is Not always just a flashy, stylistic, artsy car, right? <laughs> and this one sure. is up there, too, I feel like. The... The stats are impressive. It's basically, it's not quite, but it's basically 900 horsepower, twin turbo V V12. And a, Holy cow. A, here's the cool part, though. The Huayra was only the DCT or the paddle shift that they, you know, the clicky shifter thing they did. Right. And, well, sculptural, but still very just sculptural. clicky. And yeah. This one, however, comes with a manual. A Even more A seven-speed dogleg manual with a very sculptural shifter in this car as well. I mean, that thing is art. If you're looking for some entertainment, Bill, anybody wanting to find information on the Pagani Utopia, you can go straight to the Pagani media site where the entire presentation is available for download. And a lot of work went into this car. Six years of work, six years of development, as a matter of fact, and a lot of CFD to study aerodynamics, underbody airflow, cooling solutions, rear extractors, suspended aero, and the goal to achieve a predictive handling by reducing sensitivity to ground clearance in order to increase driving safety. That's part of the presentation. Kid you not. But at first glance, even though this does have Pagani flavor... I don't think it looks like the future. No. And the reason is, is because of what I'll call the bond line, like a boat. The top mates to the hull and it creates a bond line all the way around the middle of the boat. And that's been the hallmark of Pagani construction for the longest time, where you see the clamshell top and bottom, which makes kind of a bond line split by the doors all the way around, which leaves you with somewhat flattish sides. Yeah. And Matt, we were just talking about the 4GT. The sides of that car, nowhere close to that. They're very sculptural. gives it hips. Buttresses. Very different kind of styling. This still has a lot of mass to it, visual mass to it. I want it to look like it weighs 2,800 pounds. Let's put it this way. GRD's 86 weight with 900 horsepower, a twin turbo V12, and a seven-speed manual transmission. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> right? It won't be the fastest thing on the planet, but wow. Faster than everybody you'll encounter yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My, my big problem with it is the color they chose for the well, launch Well, yes, color car. can be it, changed. It's, yeah, I, need to, I want to see it in a different color. I agree. It might help with some of those surfaces you're talking about. No, it will definitely help. But the, the biggest issue I have, even though I understand the air exit just behind the front wheels is specifically designed for airflow down the side of that bodywork, and you want to laminate the air to the bodywork and then have it exit, just uh, delaminate by the, the rear wheel. So I, I understand that aerodynamics were a big part of this. Many models were gone through. I get that. Well, and if you look at the... I just want something different because it makes for that fillet along the shoulder the same look as every other Pagani. Yeah, I was just going to say, it looks a lot... The sides, in particular, look a lot like the Zonda. Yes, it's almost flattish sides, and then it rolls over to the top surface, leaving you that fillet that's... I understand it's a variable radius, but it's just the same fillet all the way down. It's variable. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit smaller in the front and then tapers and then increases over the tops of the fenders. So really the stylistic part is from a side elevation, new fender humps, a new greenhouse. I, I understand. And then how things terminate at the front and rear, that's different, but it doesn't look the future. It just looks different. But again, yeah. it's all driven by aerodynamics. So I have to be fine with it, right? I guess. What are your thoughts on the interior? The biggest thing that stood out was Pagani's philosophy that go, it says goes against the main trends of time. No digital screens apart from the minimal display in front of the driver, which I greatly appreciate. They've gone old school. I wonder if Horatio sort of looked at what Gordon Murray was doing with the introduction of his T50 Very and well, T33 be, yeah. going, huh, so this is what the, the people want. Because this is not a tech-laden car, even though it's a lot of tech. It's not what we think of modern, you know, EV kind of tech in it. Mm -hmm. It looks pretty old school, but that's what's so delightful about it. So no big screens dominating the interior, but my biggest issue with it is a very tall instrument panel that almost looks kit car-ish or hot rod-ish. I don't care that you covered it in leather. It almost looks, especially that passenger side, looks a lot like some of the old Jaguars. It does. It looks like it's waiting for some stylistic element or material to just give you visual delight. It's just a blank panel of leather. Tented carbon fiber or something? we haven't sat in it. I don't know about the proportions. It might actually be just fine. And every other bit in there is perfect switchgear. It's my understanding the steering wheel was made out of billet aluminum. Single-piece steering wheel. Yeah, that's not surprising. What? Do you know how long it takes to carve a steering wheel out of billet? Oh, I do. <laughs> a while. A while. It's not fast. <laughs> so I understand materials. I mean, the shifter is absolutely gorgeous. All the material, the materials themselves, and then all the switch gear, all the dials, everything really ramps this up. But it, there's some blank parts of the instrument panel that doesn't make us feel as high end as, as the car is. My big thing is the headlights. They, okay. They've kind of they put that like clear bezel around them, the, the lenses around the, the twin headlights that it's always had. Those have never been covered before until now, no, right? No, and that's my point. I don't like that these are not mm. exposed, huh. which added to that kind of flare that the old ones had. This one makes it look a little kind of cheap. The side profile, I'm looking at it again, it looks heavy, visual mass, even though it's not. The materials and everything about it, it's not. Freaking V12, twin turbo V12, 2,800 pounds. 
I, that's going to be pretty quick. I don't care yeah. if you have just like one gear. You'll, <laughs> you'll pretty much outdo everything. The other issue is the wheels. Although a technological masterpiece for venting and airflow for the mm-hmm. brakes, they don't do the car justice. No. 21s in the front and 22s in the rear, but they don't look like it. I don't think. They, they don't no, I think it's because of the, those those fins rims I mean, or whatever you want to call those. They're- I know Horatio didn't call me, but <laughs> I feel like there's a more successful design lurking that can still use these elements that it doesn't say because the wheels look very small and therefore it makes it feel like a vintage look because what you actually see from the spokes makes it look small. It, it looks yeah. like 16 inch wheel, even though it's 21s and 22s in the back, but it has a vintage, like imagine the the most amazing 60s supercar built now, but what should have been built in the 60s. It doesn't look fresh. I, I feel like yeah. the Zonda and the Huayra look more futuristic than this. Yeah. And I will say, going back to the Huayra, when they first launched that, I didn't like it. I thought it looked ugly and it looked like it had a huge underbite thing going on. And <laughs> there was some things okay. wrong with it too. So you're saying soak the, time. I need to hold yeah, off and as wait. It's, as it's gone through some iterations, like the BC looks friggin' cool. It does. Whereas, I mean, who knows what right. color or whatever this. the S, whatever they end up doing with this. Champagne rose gold thing, just not. The Tempesto and whatever version or track pack or that they end up adding. I, I do like that oval shape on the back, though, that goes all the way across. Just a signature Pagani Integrated shape. with the, the spoiler, which mm-hmm. looks like it's still the, the twin-sided blades that they yeah, did. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Which is absent from the front this time. True, true. I agree. Looks like a couple of uh, just integrated sunroofs, moonroof panels that don't open. I mean, the the... Other angles of this do look juicy. It's just that slab side, and that's just construction, too. I, I feel like Pagani's sort of locked into this is how we build cars and put them together. So within the constraints of that, what can we do? Well, you can you can say the same about 911s and Porsches. You're and right. You're right. They've got the, their constraints, you know. I, I suppose so. Err. But this, <clears throat> the the car is so blue sky. It's so out there. It's going to cost whatever it is. Yeah. And he could go nuts and just pass that cost right along to his customers and they'll buy it anyway. True. I'm just saying. Maybe I'm being too picky. I probably am being a little bit too picky. You know, I'm standing here from afar throwing darts at this car that actually exists. I'm glad. I mean, it's called the Utopia, so it should be perfect, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, the pinnacle of any car, I guess it is. But it's a car that costs the size of a very nice house. I suppose. Well, yeah, very nice house. All right, so we'll hold off until we see it in person, hopefully a different color. Bill, thanks for writing to us. Uh, What else uh, do you have? You had some other questions on uh, Discord. Uh, RP Stinger on Discord, among other people, are asking for a 911 update. Last time I was on here, I was still trying to figure out what I was doing. Okay. I now have a new engine in the car. It's not Mm. a new engine, but it's a takeout. New to you. New to me, 72,000 miles. It's in the car, but it is not running properly. It's misfiring and stuttering and has some sorting out to do, but I do have an engine in the car. Well, you spent, what, three full days doing the engine swap yourself, pulling it out with the help of a friend? Yeah, it was with uh, Andy that helped you with your car. Yeah. (laughs) Andy wasn't sure what (laughs) he got himself into, and he actually looked at Todd and said, your summer is coming (laughs) next year for (laughs) you. And Todd's like, no. Z's next? (laughs) No. 
So was that three three full days? Or? That was more than that. It was, yeah. yeah. It, it, it ended off. up needing more parts than I had. I, I accumulated what I thought I needed, and then, of course, you need more, and then you put the engine in, and... Well, you were pulling the working had parts to pull it off back your existing and, engine yeah, and yeah, existing yeah. hoses that you don't need to necessarily replace, adding them to the new motor, then installing. Right. So this was a long block. So it was the engine, the block, and the heads. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. None of the accessories, none of the hoses, none of the lines of any type. Yeah. So got that to me, pulled out the old engine, swapped out all the hoses and lines and everything. A lot of work. Which replaced uh, what I needed to, yeah, and yeah. put it back in, and it's it fires right up. It just it, it's got a timing issue or a vacuum leak or something. Not sure yet. I mean, it's really it's that last sorting part. It's mm-hmm. it's the big stuff is easy, you know. That goes here, bolts, and you know, okay, we got the engine mounted in, and it's the last fine tuning. I'm still experiencing it on the 928 a year later. Yeah, I have a friend who is encouraging me to continue to chase the little things because he said at some point you'll get past the frustration and you'll, you know, you're going to hate your car. I can't believe it's not running and then continue to push past those little issues to where you get to a point and it's going to be really well sorted. The 928 is good. It's still not fully, fully sorted yet. Yeah, right. I'm in so deep. I can't stop now. It's There's an no ongoing going project. Back. It is. But he is encouraging me to really keep pushing to the next. The timing got changed on the 928, so it's mm-hmm. made it rev more smoothly, runs better. So same kind of thing. You've got the timing issue to sort out. You know. Yeah. And once it's done, it'll be great. I think so, too. That, that old just, motor, though, we pulled that apart just to look. <laughs> Actually, we pulled it apart so I can get it in the truck so that I can get it to the recycle place because it was that done. Jeez. Um, you found some fun stuff in there. Oh, yes. We pulled the heads off, and the first cylinder, there was a big chunk of metal that fought, fell out. Was and that a D-chunk? That was a classic D-chunk. Was yep. it really? And then <sighs> we were, went around to the other side, and another one looked even worse. And then when we got it to the recycle place and picked it up out of the truck to dump in their big pile of other engines, one of the pistons from a different cylinder just fell out because the <laughs> connecting rod was split. <laughs> It was done. We suspect it was um, bore scoring. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you see evidence of that in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was some scoring. And what happens is, this is one of the, actually the more common problem with these than the IMS problem is bore scoring. There was a, we we can maybe blame Toyota for this because because of them, Porsche going to Toyota to help them streamline their manufacturing. Oh, the just-in-time thing. Yeah. So what had happened was, the coating, the protective coating that they put on the pistons and the cylinder walls weren't quite up to snuff. So after over time, it wears off. It usually goes on the piston skirts first, which then starts wearing out the cylinder walls quicker. That's the scoring you end up seeing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it blows up or breaks or something happens to it. The problem is... The problem, not that that's not the problem. The problem is <laughs> it's, it's like not, not miles there. dependent. Yeah, it, it can happen at any time. And once it starts happening, there's no stopping it. And once it starts happening, it could be a couple weeks or it can be several years before something really bad goes wrong. So it's kind of a, it's a very big, literally a ticking time bomb at that point. Fantastic. That's yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So well, you're, you're almost nine, nine, there, sixes. man. You're almost there. You know, you keep pushing. I'm passing along the same encouragement to you to just... Yeah, it's so close. To pro- you've done a lot. It's yeah. just needing a little bit more refinement and you'll have your car back. Yeah, so if you're hoping to see it on our Utah meetup, it's 
not going to be there <laughs> right. maybe next year. <laughs> Jorge M says the current Tanzanian safari in the Serengeti is making him appreciate the SUV for the first time ever. Have we ever really done a 180 on some car or class of cars that we have previously said never to? He's still not buying an SUV unless he moves to the bush. Fair enough. But until you drive an AMG Mercedes, any GLE, GLC, any yeah. any of those amazing True. SUVs, because you'll get out and you'll think, well, that's a huge truck, and it just did really cool things. More, please. Yeah. Especially with the Cayennes. I mean, that's what they're invented to do. But, of course, you've heard me talk about Maserati. I've done the complete 180 on yes, you have. the entire brand, and I admit that, but I'm okay with that. I I'm, still maintain there's a 50-year swath of Maserati that was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, good. <laughs> and then we're past that, moving on to cool stuff. Yeah. Grecale and the MC20 and hopefully a new Gran Turismo. I'm kind of excited, even though it's a big GT car, big They've heavy got a cruiser. Looking future. I'm excited. I told you a classmate of mine designed that original uh, GT, that Gran did, Turismo. Yeah. He went to Pinaparina right after school, and I was like, oh, that's, that's what that's you were working job, on. Right. No kidding. Really cool. For me, it was the Mercedes product. Any Mercedes. I agree. When I first moved to Utah, I got a job working at the Porsche Audi Volkswagen dealer here in town. Okay. And so biases happened. I started liking Audis, and they, they were nice. I still liked Audis to a point, <laughs> but they've switched. So I always thought, after that job, my, my new boss, I worked for a body shop after that briefly. Okay. okay. And my boss there had a mid-2000s, late-2000s E-Class. It wasn't, a, wasn't an AMG or anything. It was just an E-Class. It was fine. Yeah. I drove it a couple times. It did nothing for me. Right, right. But now, any Audi I drive, I shouldn't say any, a lot of the Audis I drive, they're good. They just don't do a whole lot for me. Mercedes, though, on the other hand, it's like, yeah, more of this, please. I agree. So, yes, the answer is yes. And you have to allow yourself, to, you have to give yourself permission. It's okay. You have to look past your biases sometimes. You might too. not move to the bush before you buy your first SUV. We'll see. Late Breaker asks me, what's the most surprising thing you've ever photographed on track? Animals? <laughs> I got a couple of them, actually. Humans? I saw that one time there was at NASA, Utah, there was a new at the time, like 2013 or so, Toyota Camry, completely stock, showed up for the track day. <laughs> okay. That was kind of funny. Uh, I've seen Forrester XTs with wheels off the ground hitting curbs. That That's exciting to watch and interesting. I would think the landing would be even more exciting. Yeah. But the one that takes the cake, you were actually there with me. We were at uh, the Monterey Historics. Oh, And yes. we got to see Mika Hakkinen drive the 1995 Lamar winning McLaren F1 GTR around for two hot laps. And he, they weren't like showcased like the parade laps. They were hot laps. Yeah, he was on it. <laughs> it was the kind of thing that Paul and I both looked at each other and were like, we're taking our earplugs out for this one because you got to experience that. It's two laps. Who cares? Agreed. You could hear it at the we bottom of the hill. We at were, the corkscrew. Yeah, we you could hear him leaving the pits and hear him doing his entire lap. It was amazing. Well, even the announcer went silent like, okay, reverence, everyone. <laughs> right. Just listen. And everybody just kind of in this hushed, here it comes. You could just hear it come around up the track, up the corkscrew. It appears at the top and then just disappears down the hill cracks your eardrum it was it was insane. amazing amazing i agree well matthew emmons says hey guys the other day he saw a byd m6 in amman jordan where he lives 
The BYD M6 sort of looks like a Sienna or a uh, Honda Odyssey, like Kinda, a minivan. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. He was confused because why would Toyota make a left-hand drive model of a Japan market car? Well, then he realized it was Chinese, and he wondered how many other Chinese cars are almost direct copies. Speaking of exterior design, he says it turns out a lot. But the question is, how can China expect to enter the markets of the developed world if they're, they are stealing designs? I feel like that's still a starting place for them. If you look at Sangyong, some of them are mm-hmm. sort of like, what is that? That looks yeah. like nothing. But many Chinese companies are hiring designers from established car companies. People are spending time there. They're doing their stint in China or they're moving there entirely and they're heading up the design studios. And there's some original interesting designs starting to come out of Chinese car companies. Now, because of, let's say, dealer infrastructure that just doesn't exist in North America, doesn't exist in a lot of places in Europe and a lot of places in the world. So they're still exploring that and looking to every other car company is how is that going to work? How are we going to do our thing? And I definitely understand that they've copied a lot of designs. It's pretty much the latest car headlines. You open mm-hmm. up your news and you say, okay, you know, I see that here's the new X seven. That's looking <laughs> yeah, some kind of knockoff on the other hand, imitation being the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. They're, they're not necessarily wrong, but I like that they're taking those designs and starting to find their own voice. And some of them I've seen are actually kind of interesting, sort of intriguing. They're still working on finding their voice. They're, they've got some catch up to do, but you know, I, I still feel it's coming based on the new designs that I'm seeing. The American market is probably the largest market as far as car buying goes, but the Chinese market, there's a lot of potential there for future car buying mm-hmm. as well, being Huge. you know one of the largest countries on the planet. It might have passed North America at this it point. It might have, yeah. Just as far as consumption. Yeah. I, I don't know the numbers on that, but thanks for writing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll see something drive by and you think, that's a Han Hein. What is that? Sangyong, BYD, uh-huh. weirdness. And you think, okay. There's dozens of, con- of it, companies. It's crazy. Uh, Noah B. asks, do you guys ever think that car manufacturers are in some part to blame for the dealer markups? Instead of waiting until they have quite a few vehicles already made to send out Mm. to the dealers, instead of just sending out the first ones here and there and trickling them out, would they be less likely to justify dealer markups if they got a whole bunch of them all at once? That's not a European phenomenon. Europeans are used to ordering their car and patiently waiting four to six weeks. We're used to going and seeing what flavor of, of the F-150 fits What can what I I'm buy right for. now? Because we're so about and it's available right instant now. Instant gratification. Yeah. Some of it, too, is, like you just said, a lot of those cars that trickle in at first, those are the orders. People have ordered those, and yeah. then they back out of the order last minute, and so then the dealer's got one or two on their hands. Yeah. And they know people will pay more money for it, so they do it. So it's it's... There's no real right right or wrong answer for this one. Yeah, it's it's definitely hard to say. Bitter Car Guy asks if we've seen Maserati's presentation on their electric Fulgore Cran Turismo. I have not yet. Our thoughts on an electric Maserati, though, it's definitely inevitable, I feel like. The MC20 certainly debuted a platform that is much like the C8 Corvette's platform. Well, you know they'd start with the gas engine and make it a hybrid at some point, and then probably the full electric version because it's got space for the batteries mm-hmm. in the center tunnel, electric motors front and rear, hypercar, something like that. You know the chassis was built with that in mind. Yeah. So C8 Corvette. Fine. I, it's going to come. I'm open to it. It'll probably be amazing. You know, a thousand horsepower, crazy yeah. super car like that is going to be properly nuts. But uh, yeah, I, 
I feel like Maserati could benefit from at least hybridization that would kind of redefine performance for them and set them apart even further from Alpha, from Ferrari into their own Italian this is who we are, different flavor, different fuel, yeah. drives differently. It's not just horsepower. I think they've already done that with the MC20. I think they've that Natuno engine, that V6, I have yet to hear it in person, but I'm, I want to drive one. I kind of want yeah. to own one just Seriously. without knowing much about it, you know, yeah. without ever having experienced it and driven it. I just, I kind of like it. I <laughs> over the cliff with Maserati at this <laughs> yes, point. Yes, you are. Give your, you your pick fork. <laughs> Last one for me. Dirtsmith asks, will there ever be a point where we add in track time on future press cars to get a better feel for them at their limits and actual track capabilities? I ask because it seems like more and more manufacturers are claiming track capability, but may not be providing adequate cooling or desirable handling packages for the cars. We'd love to. But the reason that that is not allowed many times or frowned upon and special permission is needed is because Manufacturers don't know for everybody, all the journalists, what driving skills are Mm -hmm. in place throughout the journalists. Because if they let one outlet drive it on track all the time, guess what that means? Everyone else is going to want to. Correct. So they have their own in-house drivers that are the benchmark, their factory standard, who do all that kind of testing. And also, track driving is far harder on a car than normal street driving. The manufacturers do not appreciate it if you just take it on track without letting them know because yeah. the tires might not be up to spec. And keep in mind, these are cars passed from one outlet to the next. They're clean, they're gassed, they're inspected thoroughly, but still there's tire wear that occurs. They might say, ooh, well, we want to put on different tires before you take it on track. We're fine yeah. if you do. We just need to change out tires for you or we need to make sure this is up to speed to, to be able to take on track. They need to know what you're doing because they are looking at content, which is perfectly fine. They just want to protect the investment. They they also want to protect the drivers too. They don't. It's not just a free-for-all. Yeah, take it on track. We're not right. sure how good of a track driver you are and sure, just go abuse it. But then it has to go to the next it's, journalist too. Yeah, it's a liability thing for, for a number Certainly. of reasons. You got... I'll use the the Supra launch here that we had recently in Utah mm-hmm. as an example. They brought in what a dozen of them, mm-hmm. and like then in one of the garages, they took up the entire garage section. So it's I don't know a dozen garage bays or so wide and four deep, and that room was just chucked full of parts and tires and all kinds of backup stuff because again you've got journalists driving the cars for four days. Yeah. In their in their route, sometimes longer than that, sometimes two weeks. That's for one car and, for a short week. Yeah. And that's journalists getting a couple laps sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's half the day. Depends on the event. The super one, they were only letting you do most of the track. They were having you go out the pits, do your lap, and come right back in. Right. And they added a chicane to help slow you down because again, you got people that don't know the track. They're new to this track, sure. whatever track you're at. Sure. New to the car. Maybe they've never been on track before in their life. Could be. Maybe they can't drive a stick. <laughs> Guaranteed. So there's all kinds of things at play there. And they want to keep their investments safe too and keep their sure. their consumables costs down. Well, there's a slight wrinkle too. And that is a lot of those cars that are introduced, many times they're pre-production. That too. They're also used by engineers to do software upgrades and testing. Well, that new code didn't work. We loaded the the new software upgrade for the instrument panel and that 
just didn't like didn't like the car. And, yeah. Things didn't work out. Okay, so we got to go backwards. They still need those cars for testing, for cooling, for doing their own track driving. They still have to have those cars around. Yeah. It's not just. It's not as easy as hey, just go track this. There's so many things involved with what's the track day like? What are the tires? What's the driver's skill? Where, yeah. you know, where are you? All those things. So. I wish it were that easy. I wish it were just as simple as let the journalists go sort that out for you, but that's an uncontrolled situation. When manufacturers go as far as to let journalists track a car, it's very controlled and they've been tracked already. And on top of that too, if we were to just go take a car that comes in our rotation, like the Civic we have outside right Mm -hmm. now and want to go track that, we'd have to go rent the track or hook up with the track day somehow. Yeah, there's costs. Film it. (laughs) And those costs, don't necessarily balance back out. They rarely do. And honestly, our track stuff doesn't get watched as much. Agreed. Groovy on Instagram asks, how useful is a limited slip differential for winter driving, assuming rear-wheel drive and proper winter tires? Extremely useful. Very. Open diffs are really that one-wheel peel. So imagine, you know, the old-school burnouts on, you know, all those old cars. One-tire fire. One-tire fire on asphalt. Imagine that on ice, so yes, LSDs, it's in the name, limited, it limits that slip. So you can drive in conditions like that. Absolutely. It's useful guys. Thank you so much for all your questions. Really appreciate it. And chance, I just want to compliment you and just say, thanks for all your amazing work and working so hard. I appreciate it. You're behind the scenes and not always visible, but you, you really do a great job, not just your photography, but your videography, your editing skills. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Looking forward to hearing from you guys. Write to us, email us, and uh, we're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.